Hello, babes and trolls, kids and queers. Welcome to Millenniagram, the Enneagram podcast your pastor definitely won't be recommending. Together, we are here to learn a little self-deprecation, a little integration, and together, dig ourselves out of our goddamn ditches. Let's get into it. Well, folks, here we are again um, at the start of another killer episode. (laughs) I just, I can't stop. Um, I'm not going to even worry about the cat purring in the background because I really feel like it just feeds my queer cat lady vibes. And yes, I am not a lady. I said lady. Don't get it twisted. Um, Today, I am talking with Jovi Wilkinson, who is one of the more incredible humans that I have had the pleasure and privilege to interact with on God's Green Internet. Um, And I cannot wait for her to talk to you about her experience of her Enneagram number and gender and how they are intertwined. Bitch, this is... My mind was literally like galaxy braining the whole time I was listening to this. Um, I just feel like the queer Enneagram content is few and far between and y'all deserve this shit okay um i'm so excited i'm hoping this is the first of many conversations with jovi and i would love to hear like what your experiences are especially of um maybe transitioning and how your personality experience evolved through that whole scenario um and through that whole journey and experience so i swear to god you guys could probably take a shot for every time I fucking say journey um, on this fucking podcast. Maybe we should do that. Should we do a drinking game? I love that for us. Yes, I am um, off of my six months of sobriety, but considering going back because honestly, it kind of ruled. Um, anyway, let's get into this interview. Um, share your thoughts with me. Holler at me and holler at Jovi. You'll hear her. Um, the places to find her on the internet at the end of the episode. So stick the fuck around, okay? Love y'all. Hi, my name is Jovi. I am an Enneagram 4 wing 5. And um, I'm a mom, an ex-Christian, and I'm still trying to figure out everything else about me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in grad school uh, for human sexology to be a clinical sexologist. <laughs> Um, and most of that is just a response from spending my entire life in hyper-conservative Christianity and trying to, like, repair the damage that was done to me in early life. Um, but other than that, I'm a full-time barista. That's, like, been my job for seven years. Um, and I'm a white, demisexual, lesbian-ish, non-binary trans woman, and... I feel like those are the most important things about me. I don't know what else. (laughs) I love it. Um, I literally, when you said sexology, I was like, okay, so what you're telling me is that we're going to have to do a round two where we do the sexology and Enneagram conversation. Am I right? Yes. Am I right? Yeah, and that way, that one would (laughs) require more preparation, too. (laughs) (laughs) Totally fine. Um, so I'd love to hear, I am also a four, um, and I'm so interested and I, I want Millenniagram to be a space where, um, we really get to talk about the, the spectrum of queer experience when it comes to the Enneagram. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your, 
um, your coming out experience as a four, um, particularly a four wing five, what that looked like for you, and then just kind of the whole gender experience. Go yeah, wild. Okay. Um, so whenever I think about my coming out experience, I think about the time I first told someone, um, very important to me, my very best friend at the time, and I said, I think I'm trans, and this is like a month before, uh, or a month after I found out about the Enneagram, and, and she was like, ah! are you just saying that because you're a four and you just want to be special? Like, are you really trans or you just want to be not <laughs> cis? Um, wow. And like, it kind of hurt at the time, and I think about it all the time, and I think what's really scary is sometimes I think some of it might be true, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I think it's more of just like I had the freedom to be okay with defining myself and like once I saw I had the language of how to define myself with the Enneagram I was like oh it's okay for me to explore things and be unique and be special like, this is why it helped, it helped me to understand myself so ultimately I know me being trained is not a result of me just wanting to be special because that's not like a huge foundation to fall on um, but I uh, I tried to separate my transness from my personality, but it's also like the first thing people notice about me, I assume, and also the first mm, thing I talk about yeah. all the time. So it, it's kind of tied into like people know <laughs> that's who I am. So it is also tied into like my personality is me being queer, um, which is okay because before this, my entire personality was in Baptist Jesus. So this is a much better <laughs> personality, I think. I think it's so interesting how fours always seem to find a way to um, to tie their their to tie things back to their identity in some way. Um, like this is this new thing that I'm finding out about myself is something that is sort of like woven into our identity tapestry mm -hmm. and then sometimes um as we're doing that like we look back at the past and we're like oh my god that thread was there the whole time or um i don't know i i don't think people who aren't fours enjoy and appreciate just how much like uh everything is woven into into our identity experience yeah. i guess i never consider that other people might not do that <laughs> they don't they don't like, care it's so weird on like new social media pages or like applications is all the information about myself because i just feel like i have <laughs> like I, I get a chance to share it because they have to have it um especially on like um i don't know like i, feel, I have every single option on facebook filled out because like i want people to know everything <laughs> about me if you want to know a detail about my life, there better be a yeah, way you can find it I, out. I feel like I've spent a lot of time, like, getting to know myself, and I want that to be seen by other people. I almost said I, I spent a lot of time crafting yeah. my personality, which is probably also partially <laughs> true. <laughs> no, it is. It's one and the same. Um, but that, oh my God, that's so funny. When I was a kid, uh, my parents were 
traveling missionaries and we would stay at all the little you know the the crap motel sixes or motel eights or whatever and they would always have the little questionnaire on the desk and i had to fill out every questionnaire like if there was something where i could check boxes i was like me me Mm -hmm. me I will let you know how yeah. I feel. I, that just reminded me of me doing that with the have you made a decision to accept Jesus in your heart cards in the pews at church. <gasps> just like every Sunday I fill them out just for something to do, but also it'd be like, am I really saved or not type of thing? But <laughs> Should I check in on my salvation this week? Let's yeah. see how we're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about like um, what your – what the what the transition experience has been like for you um i know that you kind of realized you were four and realized that you were trans around the same time um what has that how have you experienced that evolving process of like oh this this is who i am and this is how i see myself and this is how i experience gender um so i say i guess i kind of learned both about my transition and the Enneagram at the same time, but I think I probably started exploring my gender a little bit before. Um, sure. Only because I was at this place in my life where I had, um, I graduated from school with a Bible degree. I was a Bible teacher and like a year before I had lost my faith and I was like an atheist. So like I was like teaching these middle school kids about the Bible, but I didn't believe any of it. Um, and that for the next two years, I just kept taking different Christian education jobs because I didn't have any other skills. And I reached this, I guess, like crashing point. I was just like, I can't just, I'm, okay, I'm not a Christian anymore. Like, that's not my identity. Like, that's not who I am. Um, so, yeah. what am I if I'm not like part of God or whatever? Um, mm. So, that summer, the staff I was working on went on this retreat and one of the um one of my um assistant directors gave this little speech about finding your identity in christ and i was like okay whatever i've heard this like a hundred times but he he was a clinical psychologist and had a lot of experience in therapy and he's like i don't really want you to focus on christ i want you to focus on what's your personality like without jesus he's like it was still from a christian perspective so he wasn't like trying to take jesus out of it but he was like who are you like who are you just right right i was like i don't know like I don't have any personality. So I went on this like whole quest, I think. And within like a week of that, I had somehow um, stumbled across this post on Reddit. It's, I, I, it's not really, I'm embarrassed about it, but like I feel embarrassed about mentioning Reddit all the time. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was about like, oh, have you, have you questioned these things about like wanting to be a girl and all this stuff? I was like, oh yeah, obviously like everyone has. And then at the bottom was like, if you said everyone has, that's not true. And you're probably trans. I was like, oh, ah! <laughs> um, oh my God. So I went in this like, I, it's like my entire world exploded. Like this light flicked on in my head and I was like, this is what's been wrong with me my entire life. And not that it was like, it was, I was wrong the way it was, but and at the time that's how the language I was using to figure myself out totally and um i don't know it was enlightening and everything in my life changed and i did all this research i wanted to know everything about trans people the transition process and this was like 2014 this is the same summer that i am kate premiered and um 
<gasps> oh, right, right. So when, after like two months of this intense research, I told my wife at the time and she was like, oh, I know. And she like, it clicked for her too. And she's like, oh, this makes sense. Like for everything you've been talking about. Oh, But it wasn't one of those things like I did not yeah. know my entire life. Like I just didn't have the word for it. Um, but so that put in hindsight, all these things I had been thinking about made sense. Like whenever my wife at the time would ask me if I was happy and I would say, I'm never happy. Like, I don't know what that means. I'm just melancholic all the time. Um, and then mm. she asked me, what's <laughs> like, it's another time she asked me, I said, I feel like I'm missing something that everyone else is in on. And this is before I even learned about the Enneagram. And then when I like read about the Enneagram and someone said that specific sentence for the four and I was like oh no this is also me um but it was like a few months I think I realized I was trans in like the summer of 2014 and then January of 15 my friend told me to listen to the liturgist podcast and I was like okay I don't want to listen to a Christian podcast but I listened to the Enneagram one because I just heard about it and then I went into this deep research about the Enneagram and realized that like, oh, my answer, who I am, like my salvation, like as a person isn't in me being trans or my personality. Like it's just because this is the way I, I am or how I was raised or my childhood. So it kind of helped me. I spent my entire life trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And then when I figured out that like the Enneagram four is just like, oh, just the fact that you're trying to figure out something wrong with you, like that's like, there's not anything wrong with you. And then, yeah. then I've stopped yeah. like, worrying about it. I, I haven't really tried as hard to put my personality in something because it's like I found like, oh, I can just be me and all these feelings I just feel because that's because of how I was raised or whatever. Um, mm. So it kind of like the Enneagram gave me language to explain my transness and also like being trans like um, helped me <laughs> – go into the Enneagram because I'm like, oh, now I am actually special because I'm not just a heterosexual white man anymore. <laughs> but it, it gave me this like um, breaking point to like explore every single possibility of who I am after that. So this is a really interesting, to me, this sounds like a really interesting correlation between like the experience of integration and the experience of... Um, gender expression like it seems like the more like the more that you have been able to um come into a more vivid understanding of your gender experience the more that you've been able to really experience yourself and the full spectrum of your personality mm. um, which I think is an amazing a really beautiful way to see it especially because and I'd love to know if you relate to this um, I think I spent a good portion of my like Christian evangelical life just absolutely disintegrated to two the whole time. Like when you said, I, d I don't have a personality. I was like, yeah, because we were designing it after everyone yeah. else. Yeah, oh, that sounds like everything I did in high school and college. I went on like, <laughs> I had been working at summer camps since sixth grade. I've never been to a summer camp. I just worked at them. I volunteered for a worship team. I, I did everything in my camp because I, or not my camp, my church. Um, because this, the, I don't know if it's like everyone, but like that verse in James where it's like faith without works 
his dad was like drilled into me and his I was dad. like, okay, I have to do yeah. something to prove this. So I just like volunteered my time to help everyone all the time. And that was my personality was being helpful. <laughs> and, and When did that kind of shift for you? Like, what was your what was your process from my entire life, all of my skills, all of my personality revolve around this? Like, that had to be hugely unsettling to start realizing, oh, maybe I don't actually believe oh, this. Yeah. Um, so I uh, I had like no crises of faith up until like my sophomore year college besides like me crying myself to sleep every night in middle school because I was worried I was going to die and go to hell um so I just uh, no, you know it's too relatable every night um all that but so I was like fine until my sophomore mm-hmm. year of school and I I went to Bryan College where like the Scopes Monkey Trial Creation versus Evolution it's where Rachel Held Evans went it's like all about like creationism and I lovely loved it but their whole thing was like they taught us to question our faith and they encouraged it, assuming that we were going to fall back on what they believed in. And I just like kept questioning things. And then one summer I had to get like a semester ahead. So I decided to test out of biology. In order to do that, I had to get a biology book. Um, and I read oh, it no. and found out that they had lied. Like I had been lied to. That was the first time. I was like 20 years old. It's the first time I've ever heard about evolution. And. I, oh my god my entire world caved so you didn't even learn about it like because we learned about it like in order to to evangelize to those people who kind of but it. it was like the very watered down where like people come from apes and like <laughs> that's the yeah, extent of it I, I was just so conditioned to believe like every the secular secular education is wrong like you know they're gonna lie to you anyway but then like when i read through this book i was like there's no way that every other university in the world is wrong and Brian's right. Like, how can this be true? And then I was like, <laughs> if this isn't right, then what is right? And I started questioning everything. And then I came back my senior year and I was like, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. Um, but that, that summer I spent a lot of time processing. I was working as a counselor at a Christian horseback riding camp where you teach kids to ride horseback. And um, at one point, um, it was like the Thursday night come to Jesus moment for the campers. And I started crying because I was like, these kids like are just being like emotionally manipulated into believing this. And I, and I, I, that's when I like emotionally lost it. And I was like, I don't think anything I've been believing in is true. And if it's not true, what does that say about me? And I remember writing in my journal that night, I was like, I'm going to spend the next day just being me without Jesus and see if I actually have a personality. Like, what am I actually like without Jesus? <laughs> like, I had to, like, I had to, like, Interesting. practice it because I didn't know who I was. Like, I, I've been told my entire life that, like, if I ever did anything good, it was because Jesus and me did it. Like, my entire, to my core of course, person was of course. and sinful and deserving of hell. So, like, Jesus. when I actually had the chance to do something without God, I was like, I don't know actually what to do i don't know what i like i don't know what food i like i don't know what books i like to read because everything was through the filter of how can i advance the kingdom of god you know wow yeah and that i mean that proves that the the more the the less that you have access to a self outside of 
the church, the more of a success story you are, right? Like the more that, the more brainwashed you are, the more mm. like celebrated that is within that yeah. system. Yeah. Um, was that like, um, was that kind of a, I mean, this seems like the understatement of the century, but tell me about like what that was like for you emotionally. Like, was that a very unsettling experience? Um, sometimes I think like there's almost this, when we've been, when we've been caged in for so long, there's this, um, kind of fear of freedom once we start to realize like how broad and vast that mm. actually is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was very emotional. I mean, I, I cried the rest of the summer, I think. Like, I was in a zombie-like state. I wasn't paying attention to anything. Um, I was just, like, internally processing this whole thing because my entire life had been, like, pulled out from under me. Um, but I think totally. also at the time, and I th half of it, uh, I had trouble, like, processing my emotions at that time. And part of it was because, like, growing up as a straight Christian man in, like, a Baptist church, like, I was just supposed to, like, enjoy going to wild game dinners and being a man and shooting guns. And I hated all of that, but I didn't know why. <laughs> I'm just like, this isn't – I hate doing all of this. Um, but I also think um, once I started hormone treatment for being trans, I – like after two weeks of starting it, my entire like brain chemistry felt like it changed. Like I um, could wow. actually like name more than one emotion, like experience other things besides just anger. And not that all trans people have to go on hormones or that this is something that like all people need to do to experience fullness. But I think me specifically, I um, had repress myself so much that I, one, didn't know how to express my emotions, and two, even if I did, I don't think my emotions, like, would have worked right, because I think the chemistry in my brain needed to be running on estrogen, and it was on testosterone its entire life. Are you a fan of nudes? Yes, this is a trick question. Um, I never thought that I would be saying this, but Queer Twitter is literally the only place to be. Like, if you're not there, like, what are you doing? Um, and when I was fundraising to try and keep this podcast alive, um, everybody contributed their nudes and what we call lewds and hofos um, to get this show back on the motherfucking road, you feel? So um, if you would like to get in on the fun... Um, I'm kind of changing up what the Patreon looks like, but um, I definitely know that you're going to have access to content before everyone else. And number two, um, lots of sexy pictures. They're not up there yet, but we're going to be working on that in the months to come because I couldn't just do that shit the one time. Um, and then... Honestly, you're going to have like unedited interviews. So you're going to hear the shit that we had to cut um, because it was maybe fascinating and fucking classic and brilliant. But, um, you know, people have short attention spans, except for you, because you um, have a bigger brain.
that's not science. Um, but please join us on Patreon. Um, if you just search patreon.com slash milleniagram, um, join our posse, $1, $5, like whatever you can do. Um, it really keeps our show on the road. The majority of our patrons are $1 and $5 donors, and I fucking love that shit because it means that um, capitalism is sucking us all dry, and yet we are doing you know, giving our widows fucking might to keep alive the things that we love. And I'm grateful to contribute to one of the things that you love. Let's continue writing this story together. Patreon.com slash Milleniagram. Go find it, hun. Wow. That's so like, interesting. I remember like the day after I woke up for my first like pill, I felt like this cloud had been wiped away from my eyes. Actually, you know what? A better word. Scales like paw scales falling from his eyes. That's a bad <laughs> description. <laughs> of it. Um. Wow, I love that. You you've redeemed that word picture for me. Oh yeah, that's I literally just thought about that. I need to use that all the time except for the fog. This way better. <laughs> no, you really do. <laughs> um, so you mentioned to me that you're a four wing five, um, and I can totally hear that in your story of going on these like. Um, tirades of research Mm -hmm. when you realize hey something's not wrong i gotta figure out what the fuck it is um but you also mentioned that you've experienced sort of a fluctuation Mm -hmm. since then tell me about that yeah so i feel like now i would probably more identify with or not more identify yet but i'm like leaning into my three wings and i never really consider i kind of thought they were just like stable at first and then I, i don't remember who I was listening to or what podcast it was or reading or everything but i heard the suggest suggestion that wings can change after like a significant a moment in your life and for me that seems very true from being like a four wing five my entire life like i answered everything with research and i and i still love reading and researching getting very deep into the middle school details of everything but since totally. i've been out as trans for like three years now i've been living fully as myself um i've been experiencing life i guess more as a happy person so i feel like i have like oh i actually can be like (laughs) i can be an outgoing person and i enjoy it and then and then i started all these other things i started noticing like um that's when i got really involved with twitter again um and i started to really care about like my engagement mm. on there and how many followers I had and everything and when you became extremely yeah. online TM like, not only do I like care about my personality but like I had this like I want to be able to be all things that I can be to certain situations and certain people when I need it so I've become able to like um, I know part of it might be I'm like kind of figuring this out as I'm talking about it but I think some of it might have to be like a safety thing. Like when I was coming out as trans, I had to like actively gauge my um, my personality and how I was coming across, and also what my body was looking like. Sure. So I had to practice like okay, wow, so I'm look, yeah, acting more like a man or acting looking more like a woman at this point. And as I became more used to like res- changing my personality's presentation in response to like public people, I became more confident yeah. in using myself publicly like that. And so. I know that's like a vague kind of understanding of what a three is. No, no, it absolutely makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. Um, Because I feel like, 
yeah, there's there's a confidence in the three energy that um, that I can understand why would be harder to access like the less connected with your body yeah. you felt or the less like not even connected but just like I don't know what's going on yeah. right now <laughs> yeah that com confidence is like that set well then when you said that like that's exactly how I feel I never would have described myself as confident before but now like I mm. because I'm confident and sure of the way my body feels I can I'm able to express that outwardly now yeah yeah well, okay, so tell me about um, kind of rediscovering dating um, post coming out, um, post transition, like what, um, what, has, what has the demisexual, lesbian-ish <laughs> life looked it's, like for you? <laughs> so hard. I love lesbian-ish, by the way. Uh, I, I, I think I... Last year, every three months, I made an announcement on Twitter. I was like, I'm paying now, or buy, or Demi. I don't know. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think lesbian-ish sticks with me the most. One, because it was like this political response. Like in my sexology classes, it, we were, I was reading about the history of um, lesbian identities. And even early on, a lot of people, a lot of straight women used it as a political word to be like in, within this like first and second wave of feminism to like say oh we're like against the patriarchy like we're women first kind of mindset um oh, so huh. lesbian was as much a political word too at the time so I kind of use it that way but also like when I say if I tell someone that I'm a lesbian it's telling them that one I'm a woman who's attracted to women so it kind of like it reasserts my it helps prevent me from being misgendered if I tell people I'm a lesbian, mm. which sucks, like I can't just say, "Oh, I'm bi," and people say, "Oh, yeah, well, women can be bi." Like, it's a it's a personal <laughs> thing. That if I when I'm like at work and someone starts misgendering me, if I say I'm a lesbian, they're like, "Oh, okay, woman," and they read that, and it's like a safety thing. But it's right. also like I feel like right, in general, right, right. I'm more attracted to women than men and other people in general. But anyway, all. <laughs> Dating post coming out with all this has been very, very difficult. I had zero luck on Tinder. I tried all that. Um, yeah, it's a train. My arc. wife, my ex-wife, and I are still really good friends, and we still co-parent our son together. Um, but we haven't been romantically or emotionally involved or anything for like over a year and a half now. Um, but we've okay. had been each other's wing women in some ways, like when we go out to parties together <laughs> and, um, cause I don't, it's this weird relationship, but I like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to date. She was my first girlfriend I ever had. So naturally I married her, you know, cause <gasps> oh, that was the evangelical of course. thing to do. Um, a good <laughs> Christian baby. Um, and I was her first significant relationship too. It's like, we both didn't know what to do. Wow. Um, but in the past year, I tried Tinder, and then I had one really, really good match on Tinder. And then we had a lot of like weird, like, are we friends? Are we just, are we gonna like each other? What's happening? And then in yeah. this kind of stale moment, we were trying to figure out what we were. She asked me to help her apply for school. So I read her admissions letter. And then I said, I also wanna go to this school. And so then <laughs> I applied and got accepted to this grad school. So we're in school together now and we're 
best friends and consider ourselves queer platonic partners so like we have like a significant relationship in a, in a way but that's the best thing I got from Tinder was my graduate school so um I haven't been cool. on cool <laughs> I was like okay a couple <laughs> of things that I love a of all whenever you tweet about your relationship with your ex-wife I just like it it makes my heart so happy. I know that most divorces don't end that way, but I think it's really special and precious the way that it has for the two of you. And like the, the it seems like it, I, I get a sense of like mutual respect and care and like seeing each other, even though the romantic relationship didn't yeah. continue. Yeah, I would say the majority of it is that. And we're, we're, we still have issues and stuff, like mainly revolving around being of course. parents. Um, but yeah, I'm very <laughs> thankful sure. that um, I, it might have been having the fact that we had a kid, like, kind of like made us have to still be friends. Um, but yeah, I'm very thankful for that. We still have fun together. And she's best friends with my sister and is closer to my family than hers so like she still comes with us all of our family a bunch and so i i feel like that's going to help our son be hopefully more well adjusted too because i feel like i don't have to do it by myself um yeah yeah and he has access to a wider range of mm -hmm. family community which is really cool um um for those who are not um maybe familiar with the topic um could you just explain what queer platonic partners is? Because yeah. um, I think that's a, a lovely idea, just maybe one that everybody doesn't have oh, the yeah. words for. Um, so it's, um, it's originated in the asexual and aromantic community and what is primarily used by those people. And the reason I use it is because I, now I consider myself demisexual, so like it... Um, it's a way to put a, for me at least, it's a way to put a word on a relationship that's like more than best friends. It's like where everything else that partners have, yeah. just we don't have a romantic attraction or a sexual attraction, but everything else that like a traditional yeah. partner or couple would have, we have. So like care and respect for each other and taking care of each other and helping each other with financial stuff and all of that stuff. Um, you're living right. life together. Um, so we use that word because it, it just sat well with us when I first heard it. And I was like, oh, this makes mm. more sense than like, because I feel like it's kind of lowballing our relationship to just call us best friends. But like, we're not anything, we're not like a couple or anything. Um, mm. But that's also why I, the primary reason I personally call myself like polyamorous, because even though I, can, I, I do experience multiple attractions to people, it's a way for me to still give a um, serious, like, title to my queer platonic partner and also my ex-wife and also my current girlfriend. Like, they're all significant relationships that I – they're all different. Like, they're all very different relationships from each other. But yeah, it, I'm able yeah. to, like, still give myself fully to all of those in different ways. And um, it's also, in a way, made dating – easier because I don't have to be like that ex evangelical monogamous like conviction that you had to find your entire everything you needed in your life had to be provided by another person 
in <laughs> one person. I know it's literally so ridiculous yeah. and so much fucking pressure. Like, no wonder divorce rates are yeah. higher in Christianity. Like, it's just, it's too much. Well, and not even just Christianity, though. Like, that's the, that's the larger secular soulmate toxic monogamy kind of mm-hmm. situation. Um, I think that's really special and it's a really beautiful and nuanced perspective of polyamory, I think, because a lot of people think of poly as people who are, you know, maybe like me in a thruple or in, you know, multiple committed sexual partnerships. I mean, like, there's literally... I I love being able to talk about... Um, the ways that there's so many different ways to be polyamorous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so tell me about your current girlfriend. I know that you've experienced the Twitter romance situation, which people look <laughs> at me like I'm crazy when I talk about uh, like so many of my exes and current partners i have found on twitter but it's absolutely a thing yeah um what has it been Um, like for you well okay like not to be like this is probably a very poor thing where i like in my head like romanticize this happening anyway when i when i started seeing other people like (laughs) meet romantically and relationship wise on twitter i was like that's gonna happen for me i'm gonna make like this is i was like (laughs) this is my destiny date Setup dates aren't working. Tinder's not working. None of these other things are working. Um, so I was like, you know, I'm just going to find some, like, my, I feel like I'm, in general, it's still, like, curated, but I feel like I'm more my full self on Twitter. So I was like, if someone sees all the yeah. stuff I have on Twitter and still likes me, then, like, I feel like I can be my true self around them. Because, like, when mm. I, if I'm on Tinder, I'm not going to tell someone that I make, like, sex jokes about veggie tales every day like I, I can't put that on tinder because then no one would respond to me um but wait hold on hold on hold on hold the phone hold the phone do you have oh my god hold on do you run that veggie tales oh, no. sex <laughs> no. account that's no, not me i wish though okay but it is amazing yeah i wish me i too. knew who it was <laughs> Actually, I think I may know who it is. I gotta do some. I gotta do some research. But anyway, okay. go on. I I, Absolutely get it about the VeggieTales sex. Like it just. I don't know. It's just so like <laughs> it's such a way to like this central part of my life that I can like despiritualize in a way and make it. I don't know, like. Yes. Gives me power over all the like religious stuff I experience. So <laughs> anyway, when. Um, I realized after if Rachel, my current girlfriend, saw all that and still liked me and wanted to talk to me, then I was I could probably tell her anything and be okay <laughs> with it. Probably. Um, so we, we started probably. Um, DMing on Twitter and then went very quickly to texting, to FaceTiming, to I think we should call ourselves girlfriends kind of thing. Um, and then so naturally I've been off Twitter more because I like I got what I needed out of it. I got a girlfriend side. <laughs> That's what I tell people whenever they're like, "Why aren't you on Twitter much anymore?" I was like, "I had it, a girlfriend." You're like, yeah. I fell in love. Like, what do you want from me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't need yeah. you fools. But no one in real life, like, in off Twitter life, is like, "So you met your girlfriend on Twitter?" I'm like, "Yeah," and they're like, 
is she real? And I was like, yeah, she's real. <laughs> like, or, or I had to explain to people what Twitter, what Twitter is. And if that has to happen, I just assume I shouldn't be friends with them anyway. Like, it's like, how do you not know what Twitter is? Oh, God, is? But, yeah. Uh, but that long-distance relationship life is tough. Yes, isn't it's it? awful. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's... So... Yeah, what has, what, how have you, how have the two of you found ways to kind of grow your intimacy even at a distance? Um, we talk a lot, like, not just through text, but we, like, call each other, and what do we do with that? We FaceTime all the time, um, which yeah. I feel like helps it not feel so far away, um, but sure, she is also a four, and... I feel like that helped us establish the emotional depthness really quickly. Like we both mm, cried with sure. each other on the phone, like within a week of meeting each other about, you know, internal trauma and stuff like that. So we're like the emotional <laughs> compatibility, like developed <laughs> really fast because we are just both used to expressing ourselves emotionally. Um, I guess yeah. In that way. So that helps some with the long distance. Obviously, so it's very annoying that I can't actually be physically in her presence, and we're gonna try to fix that this year. But um, that also makes the Twitter thing worse. And they're like, someone asked me, like, so how'd you meet? I say, Twitter. They're like, oh, where does she live? And I'm like, Canada, <laughs> two thousand miles away. Oh my god. And like, oh, sorry. I was like, I know, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, it'll be okay. Um, but it's. But I mean, think of like if you hadn't if you if you hadn't met her through Twitter, like there wouldn't have been a way to meet her otherwise. Right. Like you wouldn't have you wouldn't have had access to that relationship. Right. So and I feel like it just makes it better. Not that like everything has to be a story, and this is, but I was like, it makes a better story. <laughs> like <laughs> just from Twitter. it does, um, even if it is long distance. My um, my ex wife and I met long distance too at that horseback riding camp in Ohio so I was like maybe I just have to commit to having long distance relationships my whole life (laughs) (laughs) you must write really good letters Hmm. I like to think so I like or like messages yeah she would probably say so I think but I really I um, (laughs) the like words of affirmation is like all I ever want from anyone all the time. And then it's also all I know how to like, Ugh, people to. yes. Um, I know even in like back in my church days, I was like, um, when people are like, what's your spiritual gift? And I was like, just, just whatever will make you tell me you like me. <laughs> like, I just want you to like, <laughs> <laughs> just please yeah. like me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'd love to hear, um, about what, navigating um family and parenting looks like for you as a four um how have you sort of found your footing with um raising a kid and sort of kind of changing changing the story changing the script that that you were sort of given and that you grew up with yeah i feel like most of my parenting decisions are just I ask myself what my dad would do, and then I do the opposite of that. Um, wow. Not, 
I was about to say, I didn't really have, like, the worst childhood, but, like, I feel like me saying that is also, like, a defense for me not having to think about <laughs> the childhood I had. Um, yeah, like, oh, it could have been worse. It's not as bad right. as it could have yeah. been. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of my childhood was also tied up in church. Like, I, in some ways, I feel like I was more spiritually abused by my church and, like, the parenting things of my dad than, like, other forms of abuse like because i was i mean i it is emotional and spiritual abuse to like to be told by the church and your father that if you don't act or behave or believe a certain thing that you're gonna die and burn physical conscious torment <sighs> forever um so that forced me to me for me to do the right things all the time and that i wasn't a good person naturally i had to like be given goodness um Yes. So that's yes. My my favorite thing that has happened with my son, and I, I know we talked about this earlier, but like, um, when my son comes up to me and says, um, he shows me a picture he drew, or like he's helping me clean, and he's like, "Look at this! Like I'm really good at this, aren't I?" And I was like, "Yes, Mason, you are so good." And the fact that I get to tell him that he's so good, and he can ask me if he's good at something, and mm. be affirmed in that, and not just because he did something but he can just like he's so just just who he right. is is just good as a person and enough. he is very aware of that that just who he is as a person every time he um breathes or does something he like he gets so excited that he did something um that he figures something out wow um and i Sometimes I feel like there's a lot of pressure on myself to feel like, okay, well, he needs to be learning certain, like, he needs to be learning math or reading or, like, all this stuff by now. Like, he needs to be doing all this stuff. But, like, <laughs> the reality of, like, not being able to afford daycare, and so he's hopping around me, his other mom, and my grandparents and my mom every week. Um, like, there's just, like, not time to do that yet. But yeah, he's really yeah. emotionally mature, and, like, he'll tell me, like, He's like, Mason, what's wrong? And he'll say, oh, I'm just like, I'm just cranky right now. And then I'll ask him, do you need to be alone? And he's like, yeah, oh. I'll be okay. I just need a few minutes. And he sits in the bathroom by himself. <gasps> and he's three. And he, he just has <gasps> such good emotional regulation. And whenever... He's self-regulating. Know, oh, my incredible. God. And when I'm, when I'm sad or angry or upset, he'll come up to me and like, do you want to hold me? Or are you okay? And... Um, He'll tell me he loves me all the time. Wow. Um, and then every night we go to bed, and um, currently we only I have a two-bedroom house with my roommate, so he shares a room with me, and he's been anti-crib recently, so he's been sleeping in bed with me. And every night he goes to sleep, he looks over at me and says, hold my hand, and then I hold his hand, and he says, you're my best friend. And he turns <laughs> over and falls asleep. And like, oh, my God. If, it's too perfect. And like it's to me, perfect. that's worth more than him being able to read or write his name right now or do math because he's only three. Yeah. He's going to have time to do that. Like, school is going to teach him that. He's time. not going to teach him Absolutely. Um, wow. But I do wonder all the time what type of – I was like, what trauma am I going to cause to him? Like, what and it, What number is he going to be? Is he, what, and he, right. <laughs> I try not – like, I don't really make parenting decisions based on what any other number I think he's going to be, but – that doesn't not run through my head. <laughs> but you're like, you're. I, I'm trying to pick up the signs early yeah, I'll on. Be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's really cute. Well, he sounds like a very emotionally aware mm-hmm. child, which is really special. Um, and I, I mean, I just can't even imagine what it must be like to grow up in a family and a space where all of your feelings are okay and they're not too big or too scary mm-hmm. or unsafe. Yeah. Um, that is an, that's an incredible gift for you to be able to give. Yeah, I didn't even realize I did it that much until like today I was thinking about it. And every time he was angry or throwing a tantrum, I just, it's okay, Mason. Like what, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be tired. However you're feeling. And it's probably in reaction mm. to me never being told any of my feelings were okay. <laughs> when I was little. Yeah. Um, or always having to hide wow. who I was from certain family members. Um, I just want yeah. to make sure that my son can fully express who he is um, and be okay with all of that. And however that however that evolves for mm-hmm. him is okay. Um, I, I, the final question that I want to ask um, for now, because I definitely want... I have, I have so many other things that I'd like to talk to you about in the future, but... Um, if you could tell me a little bit about, I know that we are all, um, you know, just basically barely surviving capitalism and, um, it's a rough life out here. Um, what does, um, what does experiencing survival mode look like for you as a four? Um, how does that show up? And then, um, how do you find ways to kind of move through it, mm. I guess? Um, I feel like right now in my life, I'm like always on survival mode, especially the past few weeks. Just being out of school, I think my whole life felt out, out of whack. Then I had a lot of recent mm. financial trouble. So I feel like once one bad thing starts happening, I just like assume the rest of my life is going to fall apart. Um, and then that on top of like, me like struggling with general anxiety disorder and depression and probably undiagnosed other things that I don't know what's happening um (laughs) I find myself like parenting myself in the way that I parent my son and whenever I find a break to do something that's just fun or good I have to actually tell myself that it's okay Um, I feel like I have to be productive all the time or if I have a break from work I have to be working on something else or have to be like what can I do to make money or how can I sell something or um, what am I hustling how can I be the most efficient person right now and really recently I've been trying to like learn that part of if, if my goal is to be efficient like I can like rest is still necessary and enjoying things is necessary but not yeah. only is it yeah using the language of necessary is still like kind of putting this like capitalistic mindset that like I still have to be productive but like my ultimate goal in life is just to be happy and to have fun and I can just I can enjoy mm. good things and I still have to get out of this habit of moralizing everything I do like if I have a sec like over the month right. of December on my holiday break I watched every single Star Wars movie and I had I had yeah, to tell you myself did. like it's okay to do this like, it's okay to just have fun and not have to like make a Twitter post about it or have to use it in a paper or do any self work from it <laughs> like it's okay to just do that and parenting my son really helps that because I tell him everything he does is okay like it's okay to feel these things it's okay to have fun 
And Rachel, my girlfriend, also really helps me with that too because I'll just be like, oh, I, I know I feel bad. I got to do this. And she's like, Jovi, it's okay to be not doing anything. Like, it's okay to just, like, rest mm. and relax and enjoy stuff. So I've been trying – I guess the <laughs> – the way I've been surviving recently is finding stuff that I do just enjoy that I don't do for any other purpose other than just to enjoy it. And it doesn't really like help the depression or anxiety or financial stuff, but it makes you feel better in the moment. And um, that's yeah, the best I can have right now, I think, sometimes. No, I love that. And you definitely, definitely read my mail with the whole I don't have to make all of this into self-work kind of thing. I'm, I'm very, even when I'm not, um, even when I'm not like hustling in terms of money, I feel like I'm always hustling, um, with my, (laughs) with my self-work and my, you know, therapy or research or whatever it may be, you know? Um, and it's really, it's actually really challenging not to. Yeah, because I, even when I'm not hustling for, like, work, I think I'm hustling to, like, to, yeah, to do self-work, to work on myself, to, like, make myself better or to, like, craft my yeah. personality or to get better mentally or whatever. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm always having to do something. Um, mm. Even if it is, like, it seems like a good thing. Like, it seems good to work on yourself, but it's also requires time and energy and money sometimes. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And, and um, man, I saw this, Our one of our mutual friends, Allie, posted this thing the other day um, about her therapist telling her that slow is fast. And I was like, oh, Lord. Hmm. I, I, giving myself the permission to be slow is so counterintuitive when you've been brainwashed with capitalism your whole yeah. life um, I, but that our nervous systems need that like our nervous systems need that slowing of the pace yeah yeah that's so. something I st- even in the four years i worked at starbucks the first after my first one-on-one meeting with my manager my first year there he said the only thing i'm going to tell you to do is to slow down that's it you're doing everything fine and then at my la- my going away interview with him <laughs> after four years I was like, what's one thing like I should work on tell you? He's like, honestly, Joby, the only thing I tell you to do is to slow down still. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. wow. It's like, you didn't slow down <laughs> for four years and you're still not. I was like, I don't know how to. <laughs> <laughs> Please teach me. <laughs> um, well, Joby, it's been an absolute treat to have you um, on Millenniagram, and I would love to. Um, talk to you about your work in sexology in the future and um, religious trauma the more that you um, keep navigating that and studying it um, I would love to know do you want people to find you on the internet and if so where should they (laughs) Um, look for you (laughs) you're like attention um, yes I'm at Jovi Wilkie J-O-V-I-E W-I-L-K-Y everywhere Uh, Twitter the main thing I care about you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter but like I mean Instagram and Facebook or LinkedIn, but Twitter is where I want to be. Um, yeah, that's where I have everything going out. And it would be good to talk about sexology in the future because I've only had like one semester of it. So maybe in the future I have another one and I can feel more. Okay, cool, cool. We'll wait till you've had yeah. a few more classes. Um, I love it. 
Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining me and can't wait to hear from you hey, again. Thank you so much. Oof. Okay. That was a lot. Um, but I believe in us. Um, I want to continue this conversation because I feel like we gave you some cool tidbits and now we need to go out into the world. We need to work this shit out. We need to see how it all plays into our lives into our numbers, into our interactions with the people around us. So hit me up on Twitter at Hannah Posh, H-A-N-N-A-H-P-A-A-S-C-H. And let's talk about what respect and control look like in both our parenting relationships, in our reparenting relationships with our younger selves and how that plays out. Hit me up. Let's keep the conversation rolling, folks. I'm excited. We out.